0: When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's new report, old report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, aka as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al in White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report here on Monday, January 7, 2019 from 8 to 9 Eastern time live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week also at 8 p.m. Eastern or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever you you get your podcast, really, as well as LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437. Or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play back what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, we're all over a wacky, wild, wild card weekend in the National Football League and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. And first and foremost, let me be the last to hopefully wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, as Chris Berman most likely would say if he were still coming to our airwaves on a Sunday. A Sunday which concluded a wild, wild card weekend in the National Football League. The away teams steal the show, at least with the boys in Vegas, to their dismay. Some fan bases probably feel a little embarrassed and heartbroken over the end results. I'm going to stop rambling now because, fortunately for you, you at least had a team playing in this wild card weekend. My favorite team is long past gone home. But as a Baltimore Ravens fan, it's unfortunate to have one of these shows just after a loss in the postseason. So the floor is yours for this after our salutations to talk first with the Baltimore Ravens game and their unfortunate elimination from the wild card round in the playoffs.
1: Johnny, belated happy New Year to you and to obviously our, our large cachet of fans out there. Hope everybody had a wonderful holiday weekend and you know, everybody was pumped for this wild card weekend. You know, me included. Uh, a lot of us thought and said, and we heard the experts say, and the point spreads really uh, you know echoed that that these were four games that were uh, very close anybody could win them the road teams could clearly come in and win the underdogs uh, could easily win and you know the, the proof was in the pudding and you know if we just start with today my Ravens look I mean it was a game where the Raven defense once again, for the second time in three weeks, against a very good Charger offense that is loaded with talent, and aging Phillip Rivers who can still play at 37, but wide receivers everywhere you look, uh, the future Hall of Fame tight ends, uh, their running back Gordon back and healthy it looked like. Ravens shut him down again, uh, held them to under 300 yards for the second consecutive time. Rivers less than 200 yards passing. Uh, Only about 80 yards on the ground. Unfortunately, uh, the Raven offense and their rookie quarterback, specifically their rookie quarterback, uh, were so bad that they put the Raven defense in such a precarious position for pretty much the bulk of the game. Whether it was Dixon's fumble uh, early on, they uh, they held a new field goal, uh, continuous three and outs. They kept the Raven defense on the field. Uh, As soon as they got off the field, they were back on the field. And look, their rookie quarterback just had a miserable three quarters in five minutes. He was awful in every sense of the word. Fumbling snaps, uh, very loose with the ball, inaccurate throwing the ball, high throws, one interception on a high throw, missing a few open receivers, but hung on to the ball far too long uh, before he got out of the pocket had some success running, but took too long to get out of the pocket, didn't throw balls away, and look, lo and behold, somehow, someway, they're still in the game. And after a uh, forced turnover, unfortunately, deep in Charger territory, down 12-0, they go three and out, have to settle for a field goal. And on the ensuing possession, they partially block a punt, and they've got first and 10 at Charger 40, down 12-3, third quarter, and that's when I said, now you got to go to Joe. You gave him as much of a chance as he deserves. You let him have the ball on first and 10 from deep in their own territory after the turnover. He did nothing with it. Now is the chance to change the momentum. You bring Flacco in here, good field position, not a lot of pressure. You can run your entire playbook, whatever you want to do. And he stayed with the kid. He never wavered. The kid went three and out. They did not convert that into points. And eventually, uh, the defense finally gave up a drive and a hard-fought touchdown on fourth and goal after what could have been a fumble and a 103-yard return was called uh, down by contact, which he probably was, although the ball was coming loose a little bit. You're down 23-3, and then um, you know, the kid starts to make some plays running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Uh, somehow Casey Hayward gets beat by Crabtree uh, in the fourth quarter, lets him get behind him. That makes it 23-10. Another three and up for the Raven defense. Uh, a wild scramble uh, by the kid, throws the ball about a half an inch Uh over Derwin James fingertips to Dixon, who rambles down at the ten. And they convert a fourth and uh a fourth and six. There's live where, where Crabtree makes another great play, coming back, catches it just bef- as he's coming out of breaking the plane, so to speak. Upon review, they call it a touchdown. The Ravens defense gets another three and out after they decide for a failed onside kick and a penalty that allowed them to kick it again to kick it deep. They get the three and out. About 50, 55 seconds to go. Uh, they get to the 45 yard line slash midfield. Then the kid gets stripped again. Uh, and that's all she wrote. Uh, tough way to end the season. Uh, to their credit, they were all supportive of the kid. They stuck with him. I would have gone to Flacco, as I said, in that spot. Down 12 3 with the ball at the 40 yard line, first and 10. I thought that was the perfect spot to do it. He had nothing to lose by doing it because the kid could not have played any worse Flacco couldn't have been any worse than he was but he had everything to gain by doing it they didn't Uh, they played their hearts out on defense they came back gave it their best shot credit to the Chargers they had their butts kicked a couple weeks ago at home Uh, they went into Baltimore and they sent the Ravens home and now they were going to New England with probably a a very, very minimal chance to win because they never went there that's the other upsetting thing. The only team that ever has a chance to go there in the postseason is the Ravens, and unfortunately, they're going home.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, just on that last point as well, I believe Philip Rivers against Tom Brady. Tom seven and zero in the postseason, or it's it's not a great look either way. Tom Brady's never had any trouble with Phillip Rivers. I did think the Baltimore Ravens defense, if anything, would give the Patriots the biggest fits. And then you're in a game where you just hope Justin Tucker can have some opportunities and Lamar Jackson doesn't make any turnovers. But we don't get to that stage. And it's interesting because we talked about the Ravens several times on this show. One aspect of it was there was a point in the season where you just thought it might not be in the cards for the playoffs. And then Lamar Jackson comes in, sparks the offense in a sense uses his legs against teams that don't have great run defenses, but you get W's. And then there's an argument of, all right, when Joe Flacco comes back, are we going to go back to him with his injury? Nope, we're going to stay with the kid. All right, let's see what he can do. And before you know it, you're in the postseason, and you've got a ton of momentum, and you've got people believing in the Lamar Jackson offense. And it was hard not to believe in it heading into this game, at least not to believe in it enough to think they wouldn't be able to keep it close. But those first three quarters were horrendous, to put it gently and bluntly, perhaps. Probably some of the worst football Lamar Jackson has played from college and the pros, based on what we were able to see out of those first three quarters. I turn on the radio for the fourth quarter and where the broadcast team is, Ian Eagle and his cohort, you can hear not much, obviously, because of where we were in the game. There are several fans that you can pick up, though, just screaming, Put in Flacco!
1: We want Flacco! Put in Joe! Not only was the crowd chanting his name and calling for him, but to his credit, to show you the support they have for Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, Jimmy Smith went behind the bench and actually spoke to the fans and said to the fans you know remember who got us here right it's the one who got us here don't be a fair weather fan and i think that shows you really you know, football is really a unique sport and that was a perfect example of the uniqueness of is it my favorite sport now Baseball is always my favorite sport, but you know I love them all. And I think the uniqueness of football and a team and the way a team of 50-plus individuals function as a group and the loyalty that they have to each other, not as friends or as acquaintances, but as teammates, as a team, I thought that was a great example of it today because you always wonder – when you are a mere mortal, not one of these superbly trained, conditioned and physically gifted athletes, you always wonder what do they think, especially in a scenario where you've got a young player, a player who really you know, is unproven on this stage. Yes, he had a great second half. Yes, he was one of the biggest reasons they got to the postseason. But you wonder, what do the other players think when a guy is stinking the joint up? When you know, as a player, that you're playing and fighting your guts out, and you're scratching, and you're clawing, and your season is on the line, and the kid is just stinking the joint up. He's having the worst game of his life. You know, it's not Major League Baseball, where obviously a pitcher getting bombed to take him out. it's not the NBA where you have guys coming in and out of games all the time no matter how important the player is they still sit quarterbacks don't get pulled quarterbacks don't sit quarterbacks are the guy but here you had a relatively unusual situation where you have a soon to be 22 year old football player the youngest quarterback ever to start an NFL playoff game who has played very well, even though he is nothing remotely resembling a big-time thrower yet and may never be in terms of his skills as a thrower. We're never going to mistake him for Baker Mayfield. We're never going to mistake him for Sam Darnold. He has a big arm, but his technique, his mechanics are nowhere near those guys. And it showed today uh, he did not read the defense well at all. He looked confused in the pile, He looked lost. So that's when you wonder, what are these guys thinking? Are these guys on the sidelines saying, man, get this guy's ass out of here. Our season's on the line. Joe's ready. All right, We won Super Bowl. Let's go. Let's go to Joe. Well, I got my answer today with Jimmy Smith. When Jimmy Smith went behind his own bench and told the fans who were chanting for Joe Flacco to knock it off and not be fair weather fans, that really said to me in volumes what the sport of football as a team is all about.
0: And we saw that after his second touchdown, when there was a chance. The defense obviously had to do its thing and get a three and out to give them one more chance to attempt to win the game. But after that touchdown pass, it seemed like everybody on the team came over to give him a handshake, a high five, a pep talk, a pat on the shoulder like, let's go, man, forget about those first three quarters, concentrate on what we're doing now and let's get the job done. So it was very interesting to see, as you mentioned, the support that he was getting from both sides of the ball in that part of the game even though the first three quarters didn't go the way they wanted to sitting on the couch. I felt the same way you did. I thought they should have went to Joe Flacco probably coming out of the half, to be honest with you. I don't think it would have hurt because then you could have went into halftime and made the adjustments to say, Hey, everything's going great, but we're going to change things up here and go back to Joe. And here's what we're going to do now offensively. And maybe just give you a little bit of a head up for what would happen with the offense on that stage it's interesting because, as you said, inexperience with Lamar Jackson playing in his first postseason game, someone that the Ravens hope could be the quarterback in the future, and this experience is going to help exponentially. The problem with that is you get that, inexperience, or that experience, which is nice, but you also get the loss. So you look back at it and think, well, the, inex- the experience was great. He had to figure it out. But... What would have happened if we may have pulled that switch and you could say that he did do well in the fourth quarter but you could also make the argument that it's a different chargers defense they're playing it a little bit differently with the lead trying to limit certain things that they might play differently if it's a closer game and you're not necessarily running a game plan or an offense in that stage right it's run around in the pocket try to do whatever you can fling it it, it up there and see what happens
1: I mean, now now the first touchdown throw was from the pocket. It was was a really nice throw. As I said, I don't know what Hayward was doing, getting beat deep like that in that spot. But it was a good stand-up, strong in the pocket, and throw. But for the most part, it was, you know, Ben Gazauer, run for your life and uh, see if you can make a play. It wasn't, you know, standing tall in the pocket, reading the defense, first option, second option, you know, make a big-time, throw somewhere. It's just, you know, he's not that level of an NFL quarterback yet. And it poses question marks for the Ravens, but they have made the decision he is their quarterback. Now they do need, in his defense, they have no weapons down the field.
0: Right. That's another thing.
1: They have a wonderful group of young tight ends. Uh, Two draft picks, the first and the third round picks this year. With tight ends. They're both going to be terrific players for them. And Max Williams, who was a 2nd round pick a couple of years ago, has had injuries, and Boyle, who's a good blocking tenant. But you know, Crabtree is okay. John Brown has great speed, but he's not a great route runner. Uh, and the other guys, you know, Snead, who they got from New Orleans, is, is you know, a good possession receiver. But they don't have anybody who can really make big plays when covered, go up and get the ball in traffic, uh, you know, to make the quarterback better, uh, to make big-time plays on a 50-50 ball. The Ravens do not have those types of receivers, and they don't have any running backs who are, are the guys that put fear in the defense's hands. I mean, Dixon is, is, a, is a tough kid. He's fumbled twice yep. in the last three weeks against, against the Chargers. Uh, Jackson, the undrafted free agent. Uh, you know, out of Rutgers gave them a terrific cycle season, but they desperately need players in skilled positions. The Ravens should be going into this year's draft thinking wide receiver and running back, wide receiver and running back, wide receiver and running back. They're loaded on defense. Uh, Suggs will probably retire, I would imagine, after a great career uh, in as many years as a Raven. But pretty much that the rest of that defense is pretty much intact, it's deep. It is wonderful across the front. Linebackers, defensive backs, deep in every sense of the word. Uh, the offensive line improved. So they should be drafting thoroughly and completely on the offensive side of the ball in the offseason. And they are They need to get the kid uh, you know, some weapons. It's as simple as that, because Jackson is not going to be able to make hay throwing to this group of receivers. They're—he's going to need receivers who can help him, and you know, as, as good as some of these guys are, they're not those kinds of receivers that can really, you know, make plays for a quarterback on 50-50 balls, or you know, underthrown footballs, or get themselves open deep, uh, because you know they are not those kind of receivers. They're more possession guys, uh, the the ones speed guys. Is a brown is not a great route runner. And the other guys who were the better route runners and are not great speed guys. So, and you know, you, these guys aren't breaking tackles. They're not making guys miss with yards after contact, etc. So uh, they're going to have to go into the draft and think long and hard about getting him some help. And uh, you hope, as a Raven fan as I am, that he continues to progress and doesn't spend the rest of his career just, you know, going back into the pocket and. Looking, 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 not being able to find anybody because he can't read what he's seeing and either holding the ball too long and getting sacked or having to take off uh, and try and make plays with his legs all the time because you know that does not last in the National Football
0: League. Yeah, they're definitely pressed to have to figure out what's going to happen with the offense as a whole. I mean, we saw how good the defense was. 23 points to that Phillip Rivers-Chargers offense. I think they only scored once in the red zone on three or four tries. They kept them in the game. It, it turned into a field goal kicking contest, which is exactly what you want. But unfortunately, they weren't able to get <laughs> Ray- one Ray- more couldn't touchdown. get close enough to
1: kick field goals. Right. Let's
0: take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund, he's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I think the big theme that I gathered from this weekend is wake up. And what I mean by that is the teams that ended up losing, they were lifeless until at least the second half or even the fourth quarter. I mean, they're not going up against... Bears defenses in these losing efforts and speaking of the Bears 15 points at home I know it's the defending Super Bowl champions and the Philadelphia Eagles but it's not that Eagles defense of last year there's still guys roaming around that backfield that I have not heard of 15 points that's not going to get it done
1: before we go backwards to yesterday let's finish up with today where do you put the blame here? You put it on the offense, you put it on the defense. There's enough blame to go around. Obviously, we just point to Cody Parkey, uh, who misses the field goal. uh, Another
0: upright upright loss. What is that, five for this season? I mean, this is is nightmare fuel if you're a Bears fan. And not only does he just hit the upright, he hits the upright, he hits the crossbar, everything he could possibly hit for the loss. Ugh.
1: And, of course, before the timeout, the first one was good. Uh...
0: Of course. And this, I said this aloud when that happened. I said, that's a terrible omen. And I know and I'm sure that these guys practice that. I'm sure they do. But when you're sitting on the couch and you have a little bit of superstition in you as a football fan, there's nothing worse for me if you're dying for that kick to go in than when the kicker approaches it like he normally would – even though the timeout has been called, the play's been stopped, he goes through his motion, he kicks it, and it's good. You think, well, forget it. He's not going to make it twice. That's just immediately where my mind goes. And I'm sure they practice that. They have guys blowing whistles. They know what they want to do as kickers because they could decide, well, I'm just going to like run past the ball. I'm going to kick it to the left, 30, 30 yards to the left and make sure it's a complete miss. I'm just not going to kick it. They know what's going to work for them when they have to go make it a second time. But as a fan watching the game, I always think when that happens, that's it. He, he, he ruined his I, luck.
1: I actually, d- despite the problems he's had this year, I was shocked. I thought he was going to nail it. I really did. But to me, this game is on the bare defense, even though the offense only got their 15 points. Look, Philly went up and down the field. Uh, there was two interceptions, one of which was really a completion, and the running back got stripped, which they ruled an interception. And then the, the terrible decisions by Slicknick, uh, St. Nick had them in scoring position with a terrific drive, and he made an ill-advised throw on a scramble with pressure in the, the end zone with you know, three defenders there, uh, where points were obviously at a premium in that game that took points off the board. And that was more a fool's mistake than a bear, play by the Bears defense. Yes, they made the catch. Uh, and the interception, I thought there's a you know really one of the few bad plays I've seen him make, and the Bears come back and take the lead. You know after Philly scores, uh, you know in the third quarter, the Bears go right back down the field, they score a touchdown, they take the lead, they do not make the two point conversion on a questionable call there. I wasn't crazy about that call, uh, but you know. Eagles have the ball, starting deep in their own territory. And all you need is a stop for the Bears. And the game's probably over, and they could not get it. Foles converted every third down until he had to convert a fourth down. He made every big throw. His guys made every big catch. And there's Nick Foles, fourth and goal from the three-yard line, rolling right against the Blitz, and makes a perfect, perfect throw. Leading Golden Tate to the pylon, gets it in, gets the feed in, and they take the lead. I thought they got screwed on the two-point conversion. I thought that. I thought he broke the plane. Be that as it may, and puts him in a position to lose the game on a field goal. Trubisky takes him down the field, and you know he misses the field goal. But the point is that that great Bear defense did not get the stop they needed to get.
0: I'll say this real quick about the field goal. I know you're not on the Twitter machine, but I am seeing frame-by-frame breakdowns and a confirmation from Trayvon Hester himself that he got one finger, and you could see it, on the second field goal attempt. So a slight, ever-so-slight tip, which, hey, I mean, I'm not a physicist, but something like that could indeed alter what happened. It didn't look like it had any inference on the kick and, and how it would have went but you can see that he does get at least one finger on it so we'll take that for what it was that maybe it and got tipped a little bit and let's give the
1: defending champs some credit Right, we, we have I to. love teams that defend with valor this is a team that we all had done a few weeks back knowing what their schedule was they had the Rams they had uh, the Cowboys, they had an incredibly tough road to haul the last few weeks of the season, but they found a way to get themselves in, at least in the position going into the last week with a shot. And they get their W. The Vikings spit the bit behind the, the biggest gagger in the league, the $84 million guy. And... He's home, and the defending champions not only squeak into the playoffs, they go into Chicago. They go in to play the monsters of the midway. They go in to play that great defense. And their defense is equal to the task. Dropped a couple big interceptions, one in the end zone, uh, that would have kept points off the board. But they got it done. They made the big plays when they had to be made. Big catches by wide receivers, big plays by their tight ends, third down catches and runs, fourth down plays. Their receiving core is very underrated. It really is. I love Elshon Jeffrey. He's got hands like meat hooks. I mean, he never drops a ball. And I, I love the kid from USA, uh, you know, the, the deep threat. Their tight ends. Ertz, obviously, is his go-to guy. The backup tight end makes a touchdown catch for the first touchdown, and makes a huge play over the middle on, on the touchdown on the game-winning drive, uh, on a catch and run for a big first down that got him inside, uh, got him inside the 30. Either inside the 30 or inside the 20. Uh, on think a uh, touchdown, uh, the, t- the last touchdown drive. So I think their receivers are very underrated, and folds has got uh, obviously. You know, look, they may boost Santa Claus. In Philadelphia, but they are never booing Saint Nick. It's as simple
0: as that. It's unbelievable the ride he's had. Seven and zero, I think, in the postseason. You are correct. You are correct. I- incredible, absolutely incredible. And you're right. And this was a talking point on point after with Tom Burns since he gives our show a shout out on his show. We'll do the same here. Why not cross promotion? Chilly guy have Big to guy. very excited. I'm sure about tonight's victory, as he should be. If the Bears are going to talk the talk about their defense, and at times this season, it looked at, this is the game that you have to walk the walk. This is the game Khalil Mack has to prove to everyone that doesn't think he's the best thing since sliced bread because he's been awarded the best at that position. And I slightly waved the flag half mass for Von Miller over in Denver doing Similar, if not better thing, statistic-wise, but for a much worse team, obviously. This was the game, and you had your moment. You have the lead late in the game, at home, against the backup quarterback, at least on paper. This is the stop you need, and it looks like they were going to miraculously get it. When it comes down to the final one to get, though, nope, not this time, and another one for Nick Foles. So you're right, even though the offense only scored 15 points. I guess in a way you can expect that with Mitch Trubisky still trying to figure out this whole postseason thing and getting his feet wet in big spots like that. The defense needed to be the game changer that was going to get them that victory, at least in this first game. Get one under your belt. Okay, we didn't play our best. We'll see what happens the next time around. Survive in advance. It didn't happen. The defending champs move on. And even though they're in a very hard position playing the Saints in a game that we wish we also saw last year, hey, <laughs> survive in advance. And it's it's no, been they're, interesting.
1: They're in an, an incredibly difficult position, okay, for sure. <laughs> they have got some mountain to climb. But, but I, I, as I said, to me, when a defending champ finds a way into the postseason and battles through injuries, losing their quarterback again, uh, injuries all over the map on defense, and, and finds a way to not quit and not give in and give themselves a chance to defend their championship. To me, that shows great metal. And today was just another example of a, you know, almost a refuse-to-lose mentality. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about sports uh so hats off to them and you know i with my ravens on you said to my son today let's hope it's an all bird weekend you know all bird sunday and uh it wasn't quite but i have no problem as i rooted for the eagles last year i'll root root for them again this year because i i love the way they play with nick falls i really do and um they have a huge mountain to climb Next week in New Orleans, but you know, one 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 playoff win at a time, and they'll they'll get ready. But uh, I, I have to say, before we go to yesterday, I will I will be shocked if the Eagles go into New Orleans and win.
0: I agree with that, and I will disagree with you. The Eagles could lose their remaining games as a franchise, and I wouldn't bat an eye, but. I grew up in Northeastern PA, a little bit farther from upstate New York, so we we differ a little bit on the Eagle fandom and hatred, but that's okay. Because if I didn't hate the Eagles, this would be a nice feel-good story, especially after last year's Super Bowl. Like, hey, let's do this thing again. We'll be making movies about it if that's the case, because next week is going to be a challenge, as you mentioned. Before getting into Saturday's games, too, what always hits me around this time of year, and we've experienced this as former Hall of Fame high school athletes. Nobody has to double-check that. No follow-ups. We're both fact our, check, fact check. We're both in our respective Hall of Fames. The greatness and hardship of high school sports come postseason is it's won and it's done. So what you've done up to that point, the daily practices, the hours upon hours of preparation, the blood, sweat, and tears on the field analogy – it could all go up in a puff of smoke if you don't play your very best on the night that you need to, and then repeat that, and then repeat that, and continue to do it again at the highest stage to eventually get to the biggest goal of a state title, and moving forward from that. The NFL's rough with that, man. We don't see that in baseball. You get seven games. We see it in the wild card round, but if you get to the end, you get seven games to decide things. In the NBA, you get seven things to decide things. In the NHL, seven games to decide things. In the NFL, 16 weeks, the least amount of games to get to where you want to be into the postseason, and you have one game that makes or breaks everything. It's rough to see. Every year this happens, and especially in the wildcard year because we have a little bit more games, you see it with fans, you see it with players. All that goes into the preparation to get to that point the motivational speeches, the injuries, overcoming adversity and you you know, you hit a crossbar and you hit the post and it's over. That's the thing about football you were mentioning before, some of its positives and some of the things that make it great. On the opposite side of the token, and one of the things that also makes it great is when you win it all, I mean, you really win it all. You have to have a lot of things go right for you in this sport at the right time and Wildcard Weekend is a really good example of the rise and the fall of what the football postseason can give to you, and we, and we see it in these close games, make or break one or two plays, that's it, the season's over, and it's hard to see.
1: Except for what we saw, which is a great lead in, to the beginning of wildcard Card Weekend, in which you had one team that was completely prepared well-coached, as they were all year by who I believe is the coach of the year, uh, rebuilt by the general manager slash executive of the year, going into Houston to take on a team that had a remarkable resurgence, starting 0-3, winning the division, and looking wholly and completely unprepared. Outcoached. Flat as a pancake. N- literally never in the game in their own building. 21 nothing at halftime. And finally got it to 21-7 with a possession. That game should have long since been over. The Colts almost pulled in the oars and got so conservative in the second half. They so out thoroughly... Played, outplayed Houston in every element of the game, and I'm and I'm not gonna say I told you so, because he had a tremendous year and really brought them back from an early uh, burial at their 0-3 start, but a uh, a bad game yesterday uh, for their young quarterback granted did not have all his weapons and his best receiver hopkins had a bad shoulder Uh, he didn't get a lot of help but he made a lot of bad throws in big spots where he had guys open hopkins and others and uh yesterday was in no way shape or form uh the houston texans nor their coaches finest hour
0: yeah for the theme wake up they're number one on the list no question and it, it's easy they to the, say they are the worst. It's, yeah, it, it's easy to say when they don't score until the fourth quarter. We'll, of course, wake up. But some of the th- decisions that were made, the execution or lack thereof for much of the game, really—you just sat there shaking your head. You watch the Colts on their first two drives, methodically just work the Texans' vaunted supposed defense.
1: It, it literally looked like they were playing
0: 11-on-8. Yeah, it was like a video game where you're, you're teaching your uh, they're, brother they're how to
1: play. And look, what that general manager did in rebuilding that offensive line is nothing short of an NFL miracle.
0: It's been an incredible turnaround. It really has with this franchise because and luck, in a sense, too, has changed the way he's played because of what he played with early on in his career. The ball's coming out quicker. He's making decisions just a little bit faster than he used to. But now he can have the confidence in the line to where if he needs to hold on to the ball, it's not, oh, God, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of the pocket. They're coming. It's amazing the transformation this team's made.
1: He seems to have a clean pocket almost every, at least yesterday, repeatedly, standing tall in the pocket, whether it's his first, second, or third guy, no problem checking down, but all day to find his guys uh, in in the secondary. And and they're wide open. Now, granted, time and a clean pocket has a lot to do with it. But where was the great Houston pass rush? Where was Watt? Where was Clowney? Where were they in a big spot? They were nowhere to be found. That game was completely dominated by that Colt offensive line, back over 100 yards rushing. And a Houston offense that looked absolutely stuck in first gear. Nothing down the field, no running game. And the quarterback, when he needed to, could not make a big throw. And, you know, from a football perspective, it is great to see, you know, Captain Andrew back in command of the troops – clearly healthy throwing the ball very well and uh, a guy that we had thought had such great promise and as I said to you before being an old dog being one of the three in my mind most ready NFL ready quarterbacks I've seen in my lifetime in college the other two ironically also being from Stanford one Jim Plunkett two John Elway uh, we did not know if there was a career left for Andrew Luck. And I think we now know that uh, Andrew Luck's career has been rekindled and he is back. And I can say better than ever, but certainly as good as ever.
0: Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Well, it's funny because as fans, we're almost playing catch up to catch up with how good the Colts have been this season and how good they were in the playoffs the other day. I mean, it's a team that got Andrew Luck and was afforded this narrative that he was going to be, to use a baseball term, like he's the Bryce Harper of the Colts. He's going to be the guy. This is it. He's going to take your team to the Super Bowl. He's going to be the one that does it. And I think the expectations and the pressure put on him was a little bit ahead of its time. He was put on this pedestal that everything was just going to happen right away, and we don't often see that. At least, overall, we don't often see that. People will look back, well, Big Ben won early, and Aaron I know that, but (laughs) it doesn't always work that way. And then he gets hurt. And then... He gets hurt again, and then he's hurt for we don't even know when he's going to come back. We don't know if his career's over. So it's taken, I think, people a while to kind of catch up with this team because we're not quite sure if we can trust everything just from what we've seen through the Andrew Luck career with the Colts. But, man, that line is strong. He's got a go-to receiver. He's got a go-to tight end in a resurgence of sorts, and Ebron who's come from the clouds to be this reliable Antonio Gates-esque player for him as a backup on third downs, ready to go, red zone, throw him the ball. I mean, they have a lot going for them. This defense is hungry. It's not laden with big names, but it's laden with guys that are out there ready to prove themselves it's not going to be a cakewalk for the Kansas City Chiefs against this Colts team. And this is a Colts team that you can have fun pulling for. Andrew Luck and his success with New England, I'm sorry, Indianapolis, is great for the sport of football. This comeback sort of story, this joking about the, the Civil War and the general it's mentality crazy. that he uses, it's, it's fantastic for the sport. And it's really good to see. And we would have had a similar story, though we'll have enough with the Dallas Cowboys, because they always give us those types of stories. It would have been a similar story with Russell Wilson, who's been somebody that's been in the spotlight for most of his career as well, a Super Bowl champion, somebody that you can get behind, somebody that will wow you. And in that wake-up type of mentality, I was surprised that at least it seemed The Seahawks were willing to stick with their game plan of trying to establish the run, trying to establish their offense, and didn't switch from that pattern when it was clear Dallas wanted to stop that from happening and just give the ball to Russell Wilson, let him air it out, and let's see what happens. I think it took them way too long to try that and to figure that out. And that ended up being their demise. Now, granted, the defense led up a couple grand plays and drives to warrant Dallas being able to win. Also, shout-out to the people that bet the two or two-and-a-half that ended up covering on that two-point conversion <laughs> well, because Janikowski's leg finally I, I, broke. I, I, but I don't know if
1: that's a shout-out to the people. I mean, the, the, the point spread in that game and the under-over, uh, were both affected by the fact that Janikowski was not available after uh, where, he, where he tried to you know, hearken back to you know, the days of his youth and, and crank up a 57-yarder at the half. and
0: Shocking uh, that his conditioning hasn't prepared him for that moment.
1: Very shocking. <laughs> and uh, you know that affected everything in terms of fourth down. Uh, you know, going for two after the first touchdown. Uh, you know, fourth down attempts instead of kicking field goals late, then going for two again, uh, all of which affected, you know, both the points spread and the under over. But I do agree with you. I I mean, they just, they were going to run to beat, you know, damn it, they were going to run the ball. And uh, they tried like hell. They stuck to their plan. They stuck to their plan. Uh, One of those drives uh, that you mentioned was affected by a couple pretty close calls uh, that really helped get the Cowboys down the field. But the point is that they did stick to their guns and their game plan of running the football, which uh, Dallas did a great job defending the run. And then they got, uh, they got to the point where you, know, you never know with an onside kick. And once again, even though you know, Janikowski, like most kickers, including my own, have been very unsuccessful. It's getting tougher and tougher with the rule change to recover an onside kick. Uh, their guy, who was drop-kicking everything, and I don't understand that. I mean, you're a kicker. You can't put a ball in the tee and, and try an outside kick. Instead, he drop kicks the ball, you know, 35 yards down the field,
0: terrible decision
1: in the air. Terrible. And Pete, poor Pete Carroll is just like, he, he's lost. I mean, I, I can't blame him. Pete's like, what? what was that? That wasn't, that wasn't the plan. All right. I mean, that, that is the most mystifying, uh, play of the weekend. In my mind. Uh, Still can't figure it out, don't know what he was trying to do, don't know what he was thinking, and uh, whatever he was trying to do, if that's what he was trying to do, I don't get it. And if that's not what he's trying to do, then nothing could have been executed as poorly as that.
0: So a couple minutes to do what we do best, and that's give predictions. That's been our bread and butter for 20 episodes. Why should that stop now? We're always great at predicting how games will go, especially with the spreads. Chiefs, Patriots, Saints, and Rams finally take the field. Arguably the four best teams. I would say that's a no-brainer. Do you see an upset coming for any of those four? Or if there's a best-case scenario for which of the four teams that had a win to get in might give that upset next week?
1: Uh, Believe it or not, uh, and this one is for Stephen A. Smith, uh, I think the Cowboys have got the best chance to pull an upset. Because defense travels and their defense has been playing remarkably well and they can run the football against pretty much anybody. And look, the Ram defense is, despite the names that are on it, including you know, the best defensive player in the league, who for a while was an MVP candidate until their defense you know kind of went downhill the last quarter, the third or quarter of the season. Uh, but I give Dallas the best chance to go on the road and win because, as I said, defense travels. They can run the football. Uh, even though I don't love Dak Prescott, and he's not very good with ball security and not that great a throw. He does have the capacity to make some big throws, and it's a big place with his feet. Uh, yes, they lost one of their best wide receivers to a terrible ankle injury, but they do have their best wide receiver who's a game-changer. And one of the best running backs in the league who's a game changer. So uh, I clearly give them a chance. Uh, as I said before, I'm rooting hard for the Eagles. But that's going to be uh, a, a very tough road to hoe. We've already touched on the fact that I believe subjectively that the Ravens are the only ones who can ever go into New England uh, and, and, and play a competitive game and clearly beat them, because they're the the only ones who have gone in, and beaten them. I don't think the Chargers can do it. They should be able to do it. I don't think they will. Uh, And I am in a complete minority. Everybody thinks the Colts will give Kansas City a snootful. I think what Kansas City will win that game by three touchdowns.
0: Minimum. Yeah, if there's a two, because I I could see Dallas too, unfortunately, I, I would say my two would be to go against you there and say that the Colts have a chance against the Chiefs. Just from being a Broncos fan and seeing Chiefs traditions of falling short on the big stage, different team, different quarterback, different circumstances, but still Andy Reid. So you never know with old Andy what's going to happen. But I do think, if anything else, we are in for some exciting games upcoming. And that's always the best part about the NFL postseason. It's great games, live or die. We'll see what happens coming down to the wire. This show will be live during the national championship between my Clemson Tigers from ACC Radio against everyone else's Alabama football giants. I'm pulling for Clemson. I I don't know, though, Al. <laughs> I mean... It's a thing, like, with the Patriots. It's hard to not say Alabama until they've proven me otherwise. That's how I think you have to look at this game well. Played in one of the worst stadiums probably possible for these two franchises. You and I can probably go to the game if we could afford flights and get in for, I'm assuming, before kickoff, under $100, no question. But we'll see. I'm just hoping for an exciting game, which could at least mute the people to think, Tomorrow is going to be terrible because they're sick of Alabama-Clemson national championships, even though the two best teams in college football.
1: Well, we know they're clearly the best two teams. After what we've seen, uh, as excited as we were for the playoff, playoffs, playoff, tournament, and the Final Four, it was another miserable effort by Notre Dame. Uh, they were completely overmatched against Clemson, and Oklahoma played their hearts out, but they got off to a terrible start. Had a couple of tough breaks go against them, a couple of calls that could have gone either way, uh, both of which resulted in Alabama touchdowns. And he followed by twenty-eight nothing, but they did come back and make it a game against their great Alabama defense. So that leads me to believe that with Clemson's weapons, as long as their quarterback. They're great young quarterback who, in all probability, at least in my mind, will be the first pick in the draft unless he suffers a career-ending injury, which we never wish for anybody, you know, in the next two years. He will be the first player in the draft to, uh, after his junior season because he is a pure pure freshman, true freshman. I, I know it's easy to see as long as the quarterback plays, but if, if the quarterback plays well, if Trevor, if Trevor plays well, Clemson has a great chance to win the game. Uh, To me, the other aspect for Clemson is that that defensive line, that great defensive line, that pro-like defensive line with all the draft picks on it, even though they were obviously without without one of their best, uh, they didn't miss a beat against Notre Dame. They're not playing Notre Dame. They're playing Bama. But if that defense and all the athletes that they have, and they got them everywhere, They don't just have him across the front. they got him at linebacker. they got him defensive backfield. They have a wonderful defense. Uh, If that defense can put pressure on Tua and confuse him and make him try and make those something-out-of-nothing plays that uh, sometimes are his downfall and have been uh, down the stretch of the season, especially against Georgia, uh, not against the hideous Oklahoma defense, but especially against Georgia, uh, I, I believe Clemson has a real good chance to win this game. If, if I was betting the game, I would say Clemson points.
0: Well, we'll say this, too. Speaking of betting, to get out of here, might bring back the six-pack next week for you guys, just because two-team parlay or two-item parlay from today, the Chargers-Ravens over, which was 41-and-a-half, and a half Ended at 4-0. And the Bears minus 6. If you faded those two picks, you would have made out. And we didn't let you know. So next week, I'll let you know where I'm headed, and you can make some money, because that's just the way the cookie crumbles. on this. For those
1: for those interested on my end, uh, I thought it was time to stand back and observe, because I had Ohio State minus six with a 28-3 lead. Uh, my feet up and enjoying my victory and enjoying my victory and slowly but surely watching my victory slip away. Never fails. Uh, good riddance to Urban Meyer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll cross our fingers for happier gambling tides and better
1: shows in 2019 you too johnny folks everybody enjoy the national championship game uh i am alpha white plains he is the one and only john tiny Lon, and we will talk to you next week take care everybody